Welcome everyone to Fatal Error. I am Chris Dezombak. And I'm Sarush Kanlu. So, recently, Uncle Bob, Robert C. Martin, uh, who writes the Clean Code blog, uh, and who writes a lot about test-driven development, and who I really do respect as a, as a software engineer, wrote a blog post called The Dark Path. And, uh, Sarush, do you want to take a stab at summarizing the blog post here, or yeah, uh, should I? I do. My summary is that Uncle Bob wrote Swift for about three hours and decided, no, I'm just playing. Uh, Uncle Bob is, is famous for writing a lot of Ruby, I think. Uh, he's spoken at a few Ruby confs, and he's also famous for writing a book called Clean Code and I think The Clean Coder about Java and how to write like better, cleaner code. And so he's used to Swift's, or he's used to Java's type system, which has lightweight generics. It has a bunch of stuff, but some stuff it doesn't have, like like numbers, like doubles and integers can be intermingled and stuff like that. They're primitives and they're not like really fully fledged objects. And he, he came to Swift and reading between the lines of the blog post, uh, he talks about Swift and Kotlin. Kotlin is effectively, it's almost exactly the same as Swift, but it runs on the JVM. The syntaxes are shockingly close. Uh, it's a very cool, interesting language. I'd love to write some code in it. Me too. Yeah, so he wrote some Swift and some Kotlin. And two things in particular I think stuck out to him. One was having to deal with optionality. And another was having to deal with how when you throw something in Swift, you have to really explicitly say, hey, I'm going to throw from here. And if you're like not going to handle it, like you have to mark yourself as throwing or you have to handle it explicitly. And when coming from a throwing exception system like Java's, he just, his expectations didn't line up with what he thought was going to happen. And he got, a, he got frustrated with the way that Swift's type system was getting in his way, basically. So he wrote a big post about it. And that's what this post is pretty much all about, the dark path. And the idea is the dark path is Swift and Kotlin have such restrictive type systems that we're going down a dark path and we won't be able to return. Well, so I think the the central thesis is that Swift and Kotlin's tendency toward uh, not papering over, but toward closing every sort of hole in the type system uh, is a dark path that makes a programmer's job uh, harder, right? And that right. it's not necessary because uh, these are sort of the sorts of things that uh, your tests should be covering, right? Not necessarily something that the type system should be enforcing. Yeah, that's his general general thesis, I would say. And although, as we will learn, I, I disagree with a lot of the things in this post, I'm trying to characterize his position accurately here. Yeah, I, I feel where he's coming from. And I, if you want me to, like, I can I can be the devil's advocate here pretty easily. I do still think he's wrong, and I more or less agree with you, but I understand where he's coming from enough to where I can take the opposite position if you want, like, a little more fairness towards Uncle Bob. I think that, I mean, I think that would probably be a good thing. So I have a number of problems with this post, and uh, I really don't even know exactly where to begin. So I, I think I have a place that we might be able to start from. Uncle Bob has a tough time writing Swift, and I think one of the main things he has a tough time for with is uh, the optional type. And I think that the optional type is kind of like, if you like it, then you're going to like Swift. And if you think it's too restrictive, then you're going to have a tough time with Swift. Okay, so let's talk about uh, optional types, or as Bo uh, Uncle Bob writes in this right. post, nullable types, and use this as sort of a, a canary as a starting point for this discussion. 
Uh, Uncle Bob writes, perhaps you've seen enough null pointer exceptions in your lifetime. Perhaps you know that unchecked nulls are the cause of billions of billions of dollars of software failures. And he says it is risky to have nulls rampaging around the system out of control. And he asks, whose job is it to manage the nulls, the language or the programmer? So just at the outset, I have a problem with this question because I think we've proven at this point that programmers are pretty bad at keeping track of nulls everywhere. Uh, the fact that applications still crash because people try to insert nil into a dictionary in Objective-C, or people try to dereference uh, something that's null in Java, uh, or, or in C, or in pretty much any language, points to the fact that there's so much complexity here that uh, it's simply not reasonable to expect programmers to deal with it. Good programmers write bugs around this stuff all the time because there's there's so much complexity here. You can't possibly remember what invariants there are around when something may or may not be null or uh, just checking for null uh, overly cautiously everywhere. Or if you want to potentially change something that used to accept null to now not accept null or change something to that used to accept that used to not accept null and change it the other way around as well. Well, we'll get to we'll get to making changes in a system like this, but Right now, let's just talk about the value of of uh, the option type in characterizing the behavior of a system, right? Right. So the goal of an option type then is to specify whether or not something is allowed to be null and make sure that the programmer actually handles something where it can be null. Right. Uh, I, I don't really understand why this is so painful, but let's let's accept that it is sort of a pain to deal with. And we'll try to make a case that it's worth dealing with that uh, extra amount of effort. Yeah, I'll, I'll happily grant that it is a little bit annoying to deal with. Um, I've seen programmers who I really, really respect move from Objective-C to Swift. And Objective-C has its own weird handling around nil, but um, they'll move from Objective-C to Swift and they will have a very tough time with like, why is this thing necessary? Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to annotate every time I expect something will be nil or not nil? And so I, I'm happy to grant that it is actually, there are growing pains, and we moved over to Swift a long time ago, and maybe we've forgotten them, but they're definitely there. So that's definitely true. Now, later in the post, Uncle Bob talks about uh, tests and specifically says, what is it the programmers are supposed to do to prevent defects? And he says that it starts with a T. You got it. Test. You test that your system does not emit unexpected nulls. You test that your system handles nulls as its inputs. So I have a few problems with, with this statement. First of all, to provide the same level of confidence that a type system with an, option, uh, with an optional type provides about what things can and cannot be null, you're going to need to write a whole lot of tests. And specifically, testing that a system does not emit nulls unexpectedly, you kind of are going to have to cover every possible input to a function to be sure that it actually doesn't unexpectedly emit a null pointer, right? And Right. Or some kind of randomness testing or something like that. Right. You can use uh, some sort of property checking, like uh, quick check would be the... Um, sort of original implementation. Uh, I believe Fox is a, an implementation of property testing for Objective-C. And um, there's one for Swift that I don't remember offhand. Quick, maybe? Uh, I don't think it's quick. I think it's maybe Swift test. Swift check. Swift check. That makes sense. But I think it's it seems like a fair statement that no one is really using those to test properties of their systems in Objective-C and Swift. So really... Uh, what I think I, I disagree with Uncle Bob about here 
is the intention of tests versus uh, the intention of your type system. Given a function or a system that you're trying to characterize, you care whether inputs and outputs can be null or not. And you can, uh, and, and you can verify this with one of two verification methods. You can use a type system, which provides you with a guarantee about what can and cannot be null, or you can write tests about what can and cannot be null and hope that you cover the uh, inputs that might somehow trigger a null output from this system. And unless I'm missing something in, in Uncle Bob's argument here, I don't buy that. I, I just don't buy that you're going to that for every class you're testing, you're going to cover a sufficient range of inputs to actually have the same level of confidence about whether it'll output a null pointer that you can get from the Swift type system just by default. Yeah, I mean, I would really like to see some of his tests to see like how thoroughly does he really check that like, oh, this thing will never emit null. You know what I mean? And in in a lot of cases, it seems like you'd just be relying on even documentation or comments just to say, hey, this you shouldn't pass null here. At which point, like, just use the thing that enforces the comment within the code itself. Right. Which the, is a type. That signature, that type signature becomes the documentation of whether null is allowed, right? Right. And it's not just the documentation. It is the thing. Like, it's... Right. It's, it's yeah. self-documenting in that regard. Right, exactly. Uh, so... More generally, I think what we're talking about here are, um, I'm going to say there, there are sort of two methods for verifying that a piece of software works as expected. You have uh, like static type checking, or let's say for purposes of this discussion, just type checking in general, right? And in the case of Swift, we have a pretty in-depth type system with things like an option type. Uh, and then we have tests, and we have tests in a number of languages too, including Swift. I'm going to make uh, an analogy here. Let's consider each type in our uh, in our program, or let's consider each object in our program as a puzzle piece. Now, puzzle pieces have uh, a color or pattern printed on them, and they also have a shape to the outside, right? Right, I'm with you so far. Okay, so I'm going to argue that the behavior of the, of this object and the whatever data is contained in this object are sort of the the pattern or the color printed on the puzzle piece. And the type of this object or this function uh, is the shape. And I mean, you see this actually when we discuss the shape of an object or the shape of a type or the shape of a function, right? Right, right, right. And, and so our, our end goal is to put together a puzzle that is correct, that the patterns and colors match up and that the shapes also match up, right? Right. And so to provide that level of verification, we have a few tools. Uh, we have tests, which I think should be used to verify that the like color and pattern printed on an object. Let's consider this the like the the interesting parts of an object, the behavior that you've written, the properties that you've added to an object, the the implementation of a function. Right, these are things that we cover with tests, and I think it's the type system's job to verify that the shapes of these objects go together. Now, different programming languages will have different type systems uh, that allow you to create more or less complex shapes for your puzzle pieces, right? Right, right. So something like Haskell could make a really, really complex puzzle piece, and something like Java could make a less, or C, C or C++ could make a less complex puzzle piece. Right, or something like JavaScript will make a, uh, a less um, a, a less distinct... Well, in JavaScript, everything is just a, a square that sits next to each other. There's no shape at all. Okay, it's, it's a bad example. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
What Uncle Bob is, is kind of arguing is that having less distinct shapes and relying on the programmer to look at the color and pattern of these puzzle pieces to make sure they're put together correctly is a good approach. And that making those shapes more distinct so that the programmer is, is concentrating more on the shapes uh, of, of things, has to think about the shapes of these things a little bit more, is a darker path. And I really don't necessarily buy that. In fact, it, with sufficiently distinct shapes, you could even imagine putting together a puzzle like without even looking at uh, at the pattern printed on puzzle pieces. And we do this kind of thing. Like if you look at the function signature for like the map function, right? You can almost know what the implementation of this must do. Uh, know what the like color and pattern on that puzzle piece must be simply by looking at the shape, right? You have something that takes an A and a function from A to B and gives you a, a B. You don't really need to look at the implementation you, you to know how that fits into the larger like application, right? Does that make sense? Right, right. So friend of the show, um, Brandon Williams, wrote a really great blog post last year called Proof in Functions. And it really walks you through step-by-step step why if a function accepts... Uh, let's say an A and a function from A to B, it can only return a B. There's no nothing else it can return because it doesn't know what B is. And so we'll toss that in the show notes. It has these uh, cute exercises at the end, which are really, really fun to do. So I, I recommend those as well. But but yeah, for sure, there are some things like map where there is only one way you can implement it because you have to get the values from the things that you're passed in. Right. And that is that is a really great post that uh, right, we'll put in the show notes, and I highly recommend that our listeners go and read that, uh, that episode. So, okay. Now, one of my big questions for Uncle Bob is this, you could write this exact same article about any type system at all. So you could write this article about Java's type system, but he seems to like Java's type system. He likes the fact that he has generics, and he likes the fact that he says Java and C Sharp have done a quote unquote reasonable job of hovering at the balance point. And then like he likes Ruby and stuff. So like I could just see him easily writing this exact article for like, how dare you make me like tell you what's gonna be inside my array? I'll put whatever I damn well please inside my array. And it's like the argument that proves too much proves nothing at all, really. Like if you could use this for anything, like why would you use it for anything? Right. At the core, there's the argument that we don't need type system feature X because we can cover it with tests, can be used against any feature and any type system feature. And I feel like that may be a logical fallacy of some kind, but I haven't gotten around to figuring out which fallacy <laughs> it is. I should note that as we record this, I'm drafting a blog post that is turning into a much bigger project than I had anticipated to respond to uh, to Uncle Bob's blog post here. And so I'm sort of workshopping some of these ideas here. But so at the end of the day, uh, our goal is to verify that our system uh, is put together correctly, is to verify that our puzzle is put together correctly. And I say that having more distinct puzzle piece shapes is a good thing and helps us because programmers are notoriously bad at exactly matching up uh, colors and patterns and noti noticing when, uh, when when one pattern is next to another pattern that's almost but not quite the same. Am I taking this metaphor too far? I like the metaphor, to be totally honest. It's a good way of saying like the colors are behaviors and the, and the, the puzzle pieces fitting together are shapes. And verifying that, like having both tools to do the verification is good. So yeah, I I do like the analogy. I, I also do like the metaphor because it's sort of clear that 
at some level we are arguing a subjective point, right? Right, right. So ultimately, the unfortunate truth of all of this is nobody has been able to prove that having a static type system will deliver defectless or like a, a system with less defects than another system. Like if you put two good programmers on a big project, one is Ruby and one is Haskell, you can't, no, nobody has done that study yet to prove that the, the more rigorous type system is like producing fewer defects. This is true. I will, right. however, argue that we know that certain classes of defects, particularly defects that cause fairly common security bugs, uh, like uh, buffer overflows, uh, null pointer exceptions, uh, we, or, yeah, no, that's Java terminology, but uh, right. dereferencing null pointers. Uh, in this article, Uncle Bob also talks about exception handling. Um, we know that unexpected changes in control flow are uh, to like something that the original programmer didn't anticipate. These are all things that have caused like very real, um, not just bugs, but really serious security vulnerabilities who that have impacted real users of these systems. And things like Swift's type system do go a really long way to prevent these specific classes of bugs. So though, I mean, though there will be defects, I think that eliminating some of these classes of defects, which have led to just some, some huge number of, of very common and very harmful bugs, uh, yeah. is a concretely good thing. The, the person who invented the idea of null is Tony Hoare. I don't know how to pronounce his name exactly. But um, he calls his own invention, the null, he calls it the billion-dollar mistake. He says that we just should have never done this in the first place. And between null, you know, null dereferencing and between like an Objective-C, that behavior was implicit and you would kind of have this big long chain and something in there was nil and now your value is zero when it should have been something else. And that's caused bugs that I've had to fix more than one. And I'm certainly happier and more confident with my code knowing that I have the types there as a check to sort of, sort of catch me. I, I mean, I, I think that's absolutely true. Uh, and we'll try to find a reference for that, uh, that, that quote from Tony uh, Hoare. I also don't know how to pronounce his last name. Uh, skipping ahead a little bit in Uncle Bob's blog post here. He says, all these constraints that the languages are imposing presume that the programmer has perfect knowledge of, of the system before the system is written. And, I mean, that's simply not true. You can absolutely write a system that you think is, is right and go back and figure out what needs to be done to make your optional types match up with each other. And the places where those, where those mismatches occur uh, are places where bugs might have arisen before if you wrote this system and then tried to characterize where things can and cannot be null uh, after the fact by writing tests. Or if you're writing those tests ahead of the time, I don't see how that's any different from knowing whether something could, can or can't be null uh, before you go ahead and write an optional type there. Like, I just, I, I just don't see how this argument is is valid. You're either writing tests about nullability before the system is written, which assumes that you have knowledge of the system, or you're writing uh, a type signature before the system is written, and that's before the system is written. Like, I, I just don't believe that's a valid argument. Now, there's sort of a discussion here that we can have about whether a more restrictive type system makes code harder to change. It means that you have to know more about the system in order to change it. I also think that that's not true. 
because you can still go in and make changes and a compiler will flag where mismatches have occurred and uh, first of all this is how you learn about a system you can learn about a system by trying to change it and seeing where these mismatches occur and learning more about the code that surrounds the, the part of the system that you're changing, right? The same thing would happen with tests if the tests that are there actually characterize the system to this degree of, uh, of detail. If you make a change and now something returns null that didn't return null before, then either the type system will, will catch it in a language like Swift and say, uh, oh, by the way, like these, these callers for this function need to handle this output now, or the test for this function will fail, and you know that you have to track down the callers for this function and make them handle null properly. Like, if your tests are actually characterizing your system and, and providing the same degree of verification, then I don't see how that's any better in terms of writing the system initially or in terms of changing the system, than having the type system uh, enforce these constraints for you. Except that writing tests around all this stuff is going to be so much more verbose and takes so much more time. And maybe there's an argument that you're not actually writing tests that characterize everything to the same degree of, of confidence that a type system gives you, but I mean, in that case, I'll opt for the type system because I want a high degree of confidence that my system is put together as it should be. Right. I, I feel like the counter argument here is that even if the test takes a long time to write and a long time to set up, setting up, let's say, the, um, and I'll go all the way back into type system world, system like Ruby or JavaScript, where you have to, you would have to like set up a protocol so that you could do like, let's say, the null, null object pattern. Whereas with Ruby or uh, JavaScript, you just make it kind of respond to the same messages and you don't need to make that protocol. So there's a little bit of work up front you need to do to, to create the, um, type system like constructs that you're going to be using and there's going to be some work you need to do in the testing world to to set up like your arrange your your system under test and then actually test it i don't know the, the deeper we get into is the more i'm convinced that tests and types are the line between them is super super blurry they're both ways of verifying your system and we're verifying that it's true if uncle bob wants to throw one out that's fine but like, I think if anybody tried to throw out TDD, he would really have a huff about it. Well, and to be fair, I don't think he's throwing out type systems entirely here. Well, he... is, I mean, isn't he? He's really making the case that, that like, he says, you know, a bunch of his arguments are around, like, oh, you have to know these things up front. Or, oh, you, like, have to declare what you think this is going to look like. And that applies to all type systems. It doesn't just apply to nullable type systems, as he calls them. Well, I mean, it's true that the argument can apply. I don't think he's trying to apply them. I, I want to try to be a little bit charitable to him here. <laughs> There's another thing that I think is interesting here where it, it kind of sounds like he's trying to write a server and he wants to be able to throw from really deep in the stack. Like, let's say if the if the yeah. stuff is not, you know, if, if some input is not valid, he wants to be able to throw all the way up the chain to the top. And there's reasons that Swift doesn't allow it. And I think it's kind of elegant the way that Swift works because, like, you know, they introduced defer at the same time as they introduced, you know, throws and all of that stuff so that you could defer code that would run when you return from the function or when you throw from the function so you can clean yourself up more easily. And I think that's like kind of like a nice, elegant way to handle things. But throwing errors in... Swift is not the same as throwing exceptions in JavaScript or in Java. They look well, also in JavaScript. They look really similar, but they really are not the same thing. Like I think 
thinking about Swift system as type sugar, or which is, to, you know, in my opinion, not that sweet, type sugar around a result type makes it really obvious that, hey, you're not actually throwing something up the stack. You're like really returning an error. And so you can't use it in the same way that you would use Java exceptions. They're a very different thing. And if you want to, it's not going to go well for you. Like you need to figure out how this language works and like how to work well with it. And I think it's one of the big things that he misses about the fact that like, hey, these are different languages that are designed in different ways. I mean, I think that's an excellent point. So he does seem to conflate exceptions in uh, so Java or, or C Sharp with Swift's error handling model, which looks a lot like exceptions, but as you note, is uh, almost more of a like functional style uh, result return type. Right. But even given that, let's let's accept this for a second. I will argue vehemently against uh, exceptions automatically propagating up the call stack with with no awareness, with no note about that in the type system. Particularly if you're writing a server, I mean, again, those sort of unexpected control flows are the sorts of things that lead to security problems, right? Right. Which we're really concerned about if we're writing a server, I hope. And he writes that you test every exception you can throw is caught somewhere. The thing is, if types aren't notated somehow that they throw exceptions, I mean, how do you know what exceptions can be thrown or how do you know what can throw? You're right. you're sort of back in the back in the stone ages where anything might exit at any time and it's not good. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I, I I've got nothing else. It's dangerous. Let me ask you something else here. Obviously, Swift's type system lets you annotate that, and you kind of touched on this, that, that things can throw, but it doesn't say what they can throw. Now, Swift's type system basically does not have, as I think they're calling Java, check, checked errors. So like you, it checks that you will throw an error, but it doesn't say, like, I will throw these types of errors. And that is, in some senses, a more strict type system that Swift opted not to have. And um, people who write... Uh, any kind of signals or observable or reactive-based code know that, like, well, those errors are parameterized, and I do have to declare them up front. I think sometimes that's frustrating to work with. So maybe am I making the same argument here that Uncle Bob is making? I think you kind of are, although, um, I mean, we have a huge body of code written in C Sharp that just, and Java that just use the top-level exception type everywhere anyway, which right. is yeah. an argument for the Swift approach. So if Swift had, you know, very strictly typed exceptions where you couldn't use just, you know, error or error type and you had to use a specific error type, would you be in support of that? I used to say very emphatically yes to that. I'm now unconvinced. Like I'm open to being convinced one way or another right now. Right. Yeah, for me, I mean, um, when I wrote my promise library, I chose to have unparameterized errors. It's just a little easier to work with, I think. And let's remember that if you do want parameterized errors for some part of your application, rather than using the sort of swift uh, throwing mechanism, you can use a result type that, that you has a like type constrained error, right. right? You could just bring it all yourself, yeah. basically. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, I don't know. There's a whole lot to unpack here. There, there really is. Uh, I, I just think that tests and an in-depth type system are two different ways to verify software, and they're complementary ways. But for some things that are common mistakes that we know programmers are bad at dealing with, like error handling, like null pointers, um, these are things that elevating them into the type system is uh, really trivial, and I really do not believe impose more work on the programmer, either when you're writing the system initially 
or after the fact changing the system than covering everything with tests to provide that same level of confidence. Like that's that that's more work than just letting the type system work for you. Yeah. I'm really not a fan of this argument of like, well, either extreme is bad. Because on the one hand, that's a kind of trivially true. And on the other hand, you can't use an argument to say that like the far end of the thing is bad because then you'll just end up at the other extreme. Kind of like, why do you write Java? Why do you like Java's type system? So a few days after this blog post, there was a large outcry from a lot of people. And Uncle Bob posted a follow-up entitled Types and Tests. And I also take issue with the number of points that he makes in this blog post, but I haven't read it as carefully, so I'm going to choose one thing here to pick at. Uh, And it seems to be a thing that his argument sort of hinges on, and I think that it is incorrect. He says that types do not specify behavior. Types are constraints placed by the programmer on the textual elements of the program. So what the type system is checking is not the external behavior of the program, it is checking the internal consistency of the program text. And that is not true. It's checking the consistency of the program. It's checking these high-level things within the program, function signatures and objects and structures, all actually line up. It's checking that consistency at a, at, at a really high level, not making sure that the program text matches up. It's checking that you're not passing uh, null to something that doesn't accept null, right? These are these are high-level checks. This isn't checking the consistency of the program text. A little bit later, he, he writes, um, uh, so how internally consistent does the program text need to be? Does every line of text need to be 60 characters long? And I mean, I think this uh, this is a straw man argument that maybe demonstrates that he doesn't understand what a type checker is trying to accomplish. We're not trying to check that the text is internally consistent. We're trying to check that these high-level concepts, that these puzzle pieces that we're building a program out of actually match up correctly. And we're trying to take some of that cognitive work away from the programmer because, again, programmers are not that great at matching up, uh, you know, colors that look really, really close on, on... the printed puzzle piece. Uh, so I think that's a really interesting point too, because like any time that something is causing a problem and is like consistently causing a problem, especially as programmers, like we want to kind of factor that out and create some abstraction around it so we don't like continue to make that, to like continue to do the same thing over and over again. So like if we have to check if something is null every time, why don't we build a structure around the fact that it can't be null or can't be null? And like kind of formalize that in the same way that we might formalize any abstraction. Like if something comes up over and over again, such as throwing errors, such as something being there or not there, why don't we just make a program that can verify that for us? Right. And when we come up with one of these abstractions that we want to elevate, elevating it into a system that can verify it, as you say, automatically for us, that takes all of the cognitive load off of off of the programmer is... I mean, just in my mind, so clearly self-evidently valuable. Yeah, but it's not its not so clear to Uncle Bob, and that's so strange to me that he's written so much code and that he knows what it's like to write a good object, and he knows that it's like, you know, it should have a consistent identity and it should be around a thing. Like, he, ha- he like, literally invented the single responsibility principle. And to me, like, the concept of optional really crystallizes the single responsibility principle because you're saying hey, if this object exists, if this person exists, it must have a name. And like I can build something around that requirement. 
And I don't, I don't really understand how someone can understand programming and objects on that level and still be like, but I don't want to know if it's going to be there or not. I'll just, I'll write a test or something. Well, right. But I mean, again, the, from, my, from my reading of his first article, he does want to know. He just wants to guarantee it via, via tests. And I just fundamentally don't understand why. Like, we can verify this automatically for you. And I have tried and I can't buy the argument that somehow build enforcing these um, properties via tests is is somehow easier or requires less upfront thought or requires you to know less about the system. I, I just, I don't understand this argument. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, me neither. So, like, okay, so uh, if you remember the T- is TDD dead thing, um, basically he, Kent Beck, Martin Fowler, and David Hanemeyer Hansen all got on like a Google Hangout that was like published to everybody. Oh, yeah. And they argued about whether TDD was good or not. And he writes, the, the conclusion of the Hangout was amicable, respectful, and agreeable. Martin and Kent said TDC, TDD worked. David said that TDD did not work in fewer circumstances. Um, if there was some disagreement, it was simply a matter of degree. All parties agreed that programmers should try TDD and then tune it, uh, tune their use of it to what works for yeah. them. And like, if you really like no pointer exceptions, you can put exclamation points everywhere. That's fine. Like, choose that level of, of whatever. You can't have exception handling the way you want it. That's just... You could say the exact same thing about tests, and it's like... I don't know. I feel like if we were in person, you know when you're in person with someone, you kind of can come to some kind of central area. And I think the conclusion we would come to is like, hey, I like types. You don't like types. That's fine. We'll just do what we feel like, and we'll make the software that we like to make. Like, it's valuable for some people, and they find comfort in that safety net yeah yeah use exclamation points right and you get the exact behavior of java which is no point or exceptions if the thing is not right and but like you know you see it and you don't want to and i think that's the that's the kind of telling thing it's like i could have i could leave this exclamation point out and you know i'm choosing to have to put it in there because you know i kind of wouldn't be surprised if he kind of like pulled back on this claim a little bit. If he did a blog post in three or six months, it was like, yeah, I understand why these, why these types are valuable. I understand why optional is valuable. I do miss it now in say Java, um, but I still don't like types or whatever. Yeah. I'm thinking that he might. Thank you so much everyone for listening to this episode of fatal error. I hope uh, that this has been informative or at the very least thought provoking and uh, since this is an episode that we're posting just on Patreon, uh, I would like to uh, say again, thank you so much for your support. It really does mean a lot to us, and uh, it's it's really making it possible for us to produce, uh, I think, a better podcast for you guys. For sure, yeah. I just want to reiterate and just strongly agree with Chris. Just, It's really great that you supported us in this way, and we really do appreciate it. So thanks again. And we'll talk to you next week. <coughs> Kids these days. <laughs> Oh, have I become a grumpier older man than Uncle Bob? It's possible. He literally has a blog post called Not on My Lawn, or what is it? It's called My Lawn. Oh, shit. Maybe I should call my blog post My Lawn. No, my blog post is going to be titled, well, I posted it to you, In Defense of In-Depth Static Typing and Software Verification. No, static typing is wrong. Of In-Depth Type Checking.